0: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, copyright 2020, Campari American, New York, New York, never compromise, drink responsibly. Napa know how! A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa Know-How. Napa
3: Welcome to the Road to Wire fantasy football podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney. It's Friday. Week 15 of the season is upon us. The fantasy playoffs are here if they weren't here for you already. Uh, a week ago, we had a self-described poop fest from Richard Sherman and the Seahawks last night against the Rams. We'll talk about that. Got some injured players to get through. Uh, A lot of weather concerns around the country, which is probably why my voice sounds different. I'm recording from home today uh, with the hope of not getting caught in bad rush hour traffic as a result of this not quite blizzard, but enough to make people drive like idiots Snowstorm.
2: (laughs) Yeah, um, living in California for a little bit of my life, even rain, you know, sets these people off. Here in New York, it's a little bit, you know, more experienced with that. So, you know, it's not as threatening to lives as other places might be. But I mean, I can imagine for you, it's probably a little bit the same because of the familiarity of it all. Yeah, people handle
3: it better than most places, but that's not much of a compliment, really, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Seahawks (laughs) winning 24-3 last night, Tim. Russell Wilson getting back on track. Three TD passes after a really disappointing showing uh, Sunday against the Packers. You go back to Box score in this one Tyler Lockett, seven for 130, and a score leading the way. Doug Baldwin, five for 35 and a TD. Uh, and Luke Wilson vaulting a touchdown from Jimmy Graham, who had just one catch for 31 yards. I mean, this is a pretty bad egg to get from Jimmy Graham, and what should have been a nice spot against the Rams.
2: Yeah, um, I just wonder if they were kind of having him in to, to help you know block a little bit more because that defensive line with the Rams even without Robert Quinn who was actually placed on IR is still a, you know a pretty decent one to get sacks and pressure obviously with Aaron Donald there so maybe Graham you know kind of took a backseat there they just wanted to focus more on the depth of the Rams secondary which is obviously very questionable uh, you know as like a multiple type league Tyler Lockett owner which I'm out of the playoffs in two leagues I had him and I benched him in another one I'm in the playoffs for I'm a little bit frustrated when I saw that but uh you know Nice to see that they're finally using him eventually for, for someone's benefit in fantasy, I guess. Yeah, the knee injury, I think, earlier in the year was mm-hmm. a factor
3: for that slow start. But even then, the usage even prior to that, the usage was still not what we had hoped for coming into the year. It's an encouraging finish, it appears, to the season uh, nonetheless. Thomas Rawls, who was averaging five yards a pop in the matchup against the Packers on Sunday, ran 21 times but had just 34 yards. And the Rams' run defense played very well in this game.
2: Yeah, um you know and and I think a part of that's also the that Seattle just doesn't believe in their run game anymore. That this is not the team that we've known for years with Marshawn Lynch pounding the ball and then passing after that. This is a team that you know, Russell Wilson's turned into, you know, it's been a past first offense for a while. And, you know, since, you know, halfway from last year until now, and it's a case where, you know, they haven't found a guy to really seize the deal at this point. I think Rawls has the talent to do it. He's actually a highly rated running back for a lot of advanced metrics the last year and a half, but they just don't care to use him that much. And this one, 21 attempts, 34 yards, I guess they don't have the offensive line to support that running game anymore.
3: No, they, they don't seem to have it, which is, Uh, One of the, I guess, maybe Achilles heels of this Seattle team as we kind of look ahead to the postseason. Now, the Rams, without Jeff Fisher, look pretty much exactly the way they've looked all season. And the Rams' problems go much further than Jeff Fisher as a head coach, right? I mean, it's much worse than that because the roster put together is not one that you'd expect to be competitive on a week-to-week basis. Uh, Todd Gurley, if you've survived this point, and you had him going in week 15. He gave you 14 carries for 38 yards. It's kind of just yet another chapter from the same book where he's been an underperforming first-round pick. And this time, it wasn't even RB2-type value from him against Seattle.
2: No, I mean, you know, we, we talked about in previous podcasts about buying him low because the schedule coming up was so good. Obviously, week 14 against Atlanta, he, he – kind of cashed in on that but you know week 15 was the week that at a time you're like okay you might have to you know adjust and not start him for that week you know to maybe hopefully get to week 16 where he plays the 49ers but yeah definitely a rough patch and not what his owners wanted to have to you know survive with him if they actually did throw them in their lineup so you know this is kind of the the, the area where you'd be like okay you have, you have to get through this week with girl you knew it was gonna be pretty bad and you know even with the rams you know still trying to focus out. Offense on something, it still can't be girly at this point just because he's not, you know, he's not been a major factor because they have to throw too much most of the time and they're not involving him as much in the passing game as they had in, you know, last couple of weeks, which a little bit frustrating there.
3: On top of all of this, Jared Goff leaving early, going through the concussion protocol. Uh, He had just 135 yards through the air on 25 attempts. Prior to his So we got to see even more Case Keenum last night, which is just the gift that really keeps on giving from uh, from a fantasy standpoint. Just putting the the brakes on the Rams' passing game as a whole. Kenny Britt led the way, four catches, fifty yards on eight targets. Nothing else to get excited about at all, though. So we can move on to some of the injuries around the league, and there are a lot of them. Uh, one of the big surprises, though, just after stepping out for lunch, coming back to seeing that Adrian Peterson. Uh, says he's planning to play this Sunday against the Colts. Previously, he was saying he was going to return in week 16 against the Packers. And Tim, if he's out there against Indy, I know the, the, the Vikings offensive line has been bad. There has to be a fair number of teams in the fantasy playoffs who would have to look at Peterson as an upgrade, at least over their second running back or over their flex.
2: It infuriates me because I had to drop him a few weeks ago because I needed active bodies in this really deep flex league that has a short bench. And this just, yeah, that this is, you know, kicking, I'm kicking something right now because the matchup against the Colts is obviously so much better than the targeted matchup he would have had against the Packers, even with this, the Vikings offensive line, obviously not a very good one uh, for running or, you know, pass protection. So maybe you kind of say that, you know, Peterson wasn't running well when he, before he got hurt. Maybe that's just a case where he might not do much anyway, but yeah, Indianapolis is a really tantalizing matchup to play him in season long in DFS if you really need that flex help. I I think flex plays, you know, where I would just rank him initially, but, you know, obviously the upside is very much there now.
3: I mean, as I mentioned, the offensive line has been a problem all year. Injuries, ineffective play, mostly injuries, really chipping away at that unit. And even when we saw Peterson before he got hurt in the Green Bay game, the first two games worth of production from him were well below the norm. We're talking 31 carries for 50 yards before he got hurt in week two
2: mm-hmm. yeah and obviously you know Sam Bradford figures you know maybe there's a little bit more excitement than Teddy Bridgewater provided to so, you know maybe play defense a little bit more honest but yeah I mean you're right it's just a, how effective is Peterson as a runner now we've I've been questioning that you know heading into this year uh, and you know the fact that this offensive line is is so depleted I don't think that's really going to help him unless you know they just really get to that second level of that Colts defense which is pretty terrible
3: Got some good news in that there's clarity regarding Julio Jones. He's not going to play. The news itself is actually bad, but just not having to sweat it out until game time is actually a good thing. Uh, I believe that's also a late afternoon kickoff between the Falcons and Diners, too. So that would have complicated things even further, just like last week with the the kickoff uh, against the Rams. At least we know now going into the weekend to make uh, other plans with Julio Jones. A.J. Green listed as doubtful. I feel like a player listed as doubtful for a team that's not going to the playoffs basically is out. I mean, there's there's no reason for the Bengals to put him on the field anyway. And the down the downer there is that my belief is that A.J. Green will not be used as a decoy if he does get back on the field in week 16 or week 17. But I still don't think that's even going to happen.
0: Yeah,
2: um, there's really no reason, you know, all things equal for Cincinnati to play him. I mean, it might just be like a pride thing for him right now to get back on the field and finish the season strong. Um, You know, good matchup in week 16 if he does against Houston, I think. But, yeah, I'm with you on this one. I think they're probably going to list him as doubtful for, for, you know, this week and then the championship week for fantasy. So I have him on one or two teams now. Obviously, I've had to work around stashing him. But, you know, he's a guy you stash around. He's not a guy you drop. Um, so, you know, it's a shame it's not you know going to work out this way in fantasy, it seems like. But, you know, I'll keep blind hope till next week, maybe. Brandon Marshall,
3: part of that Saturday night game. It's called Thursday Night Football on Saturday Night, according to the NFL. Uh, it, it, based on the matchup, I mean, it, it is kind of a bad matchup with the Jets being involved. But Brandon Marshall uh, is dealing with knee, foot and back ailments. He's listed as questionable to play. In that game against the Dolphins. I mean, the the bigger concern for me is that he's got Bryce Petty throwing him passes right now.
2: Yeah, obviously Petty has more, you know, of a connection with Robbie Anderson and even Austin Safarian Jenkins, I think at this point, than Brandon Marshall or even Quincy Nunwa. So I think it's very much a case where it's going to be run first for the Jets and kind of work off that. I, you know, I picked up Anderson in a couple of leagues where he, you know, he might be, benefit a little bit more from this Marshall injury. But it's a guy. It's, it's one of those cases where you have a, a side secondary candidate that you'd rather have the guy like Marshall on the field to take the defense away from him. So you know, if Marshall doesn't play, I think the Jets' offense is just going to be a mess in general, even more so than it is now.
3: Both Cam Newton and Kelvin Benjamin are limited in practice on Friday. The Panthers don't play until Monday against Washington. Uh, Newton's got a shoulder injury. That one may actually be a bit more serious than the Panthers have let on. I think the key is just to make sure that, you know, if Newton's your only quarterback right now, you go to the wire, make sure you stash away Derek Anderson if you want to wait it out and see if Newton uh, is good to go on Monday night. It doesn't look like he's going to miss the game, but you just want to make sure you're not caught. Uh, with your pants down, without a backup because a lot of Cam Newton owners tried to fly a year without one.
2: Mm, Yeah, um, obviously not not a a good season to have Cam Newton, and especially week 15 on a Monday night game with an injury. uh, Not a very positive development there. I'm not the biggest fan of Newton this week regardless because that Redskins pass rush is actually pretty underrated. uh, And obviously, you know, targeting Josh Norman, not – Turned out very good for many quarterbacks of of Newton's mediocre caliber this year. So, yeah, I I would probably do all all I can to even just avoid this problem in, in any case, even even if Newton does play.
3: You think Josh Norman's going to be fired up to play his former team?
2: <laughs> a little bit.
3: Just just maybe maybe a little <laughs> more amped up than usual uh, to give it a go. Jordan Matthews is going to be considered questionable to play in Sunday's game against the Ravens. I think the bigger issue, I mean, he played reasonably well last week. I just don't like the matchup against the Ravens. I know Baltimore got picked apart by Tom Brady and company on Monday night, but that's not indicative of a bad defense. That's just the Patriots doing New England Patriots sort of things. I look at Jordan Matthews as kind of a risky play in season long, simply because Baltimore's defense is really good, especially at home.
2: Yeah, I, I, I could see that for sure. Obviously, um, you know, the secondary of Baltimore's been pretty darn good this year. But there are some guys, I think, in three wide sets if Matthews can kind of match up with uh, Gerard Powers or Sharice Wright. I think he could probably do some stuff in the middle of the field to take advantage of there. So I think PPR leagues, I'd, I'd still probably start him because I think there'll be a lot of quick throws. Obviously, Carson Wentz. Up and down season, but there's something you know. He still got a connection with Matthews if he's healthy. So you know, wide receiver three ish for uh, Matthews for me because I think he can probably poke a little bit of holes in this defense. But it's going to be very tough to find them overall for Wentz for sure. No Dante
3: Moncrief for the Colts. He's been ruled out with the hamstring injury. So don't don't use him. (laughs) That's really the only. (laughs) There's there's not a viable alternative. I can see the tight ends picking up a few more targets, but not crazy about throwing anyone other than T Y Hilton out there against the Minnesota defense this week, as far as the Colts pass catchers go.
2: Yeah. um, You know, it it does stink because Hilton might be a little bit more vulnerable to getting, you know, an Xavier Rhodes or Terrence Newman in, you know, in one-on-one coverage because they're both pretty tough, but you know, it's a case where Hilton's going to get his targets anyway. I think, I think Andrew Luck's the type of quarterback that you kind of trust in these situations, at least for the, the top receiver. Um, yeah, and like you said, it's kind of dispersed among the secondary guys a little bit too thinly to really just mark a Philip Dorsett or a, or Jack Doyle or Dwayne Allen up because they, they cannibalize each other so much already that I don't think this is going to help anybody specifically.
3: Yeah, I think with, with Hilton, he's the kind of player that maybe can match up against Rhodes and, and do better than most because it's hard to mm-hmm. jam him. He's so little, so quick that Rhodes might not be able to get a hold of him if that happens. you yeah. know Maybe it's one of the rare times where Xavier Rhodes can be exposed just a little bit. Uh, yeah. Dez Bryant has been dealing with a back injury, apparently feeling better on Friday according to Cowboys head coach uh, Jason Garrett. He's going to try to go through a full practice today. I've not seen the official word on that just yet, but any reason to be concerned about Dez going up against the Bucks on Sunday night?
2: Well, I mean, Brent Grimes has actually been playing some pretty darn good football at cornerback, um, you know, pretty highly rated on uh, pro fantasy, you know, sorry, pro football focus most of the year. Uh, you know, the Bucks have had, you know, a little decent improvement on defense this year. I mean, obviously, um, the thing is that they're playing at home. They're not playing in wintry conditions this week. Um, I think that's a case where I think I'd be a little bit more optimistic about Des, you know, putting up, you know, low level wide receiver one fantasy numbers, I guess that case because, you know, it's a little bit less, uh, less um, blustery terrain or whatever you want to call it and. That they're at home, so I think you know Des. If he's active, he got thrown out there this week. Either way.
3: Lions have a tough matchup on the road against the Giants. Looks like they might be without Theo Riddick again. He didn't practice all week mm-hmm. as a result of that wrist injury. Heard a report earlier in the week that he might have something else going on health-wise as well. Uh, if that happens, Dwayne Washington and Zach Zenner have to carry the load again. Tim and you know, we saw like a two to one split favoring Washington uh, in the Lions matchup on Sunday against the Bears. I would assume we'd see a pretty similar division of the workload this time around if Riddick is officially ruled out.
2: Yeah, I think Washington's obviously the more dynamic back to own and obviously to get those those snaps. And, you know, the Giants, you know, talk about that defense last week, visiting New York this week. It's going to be probably a little bit rainy. It's some, you know, wintry mix type of thing going on there. So, you know, I can imagine a lot of running game going and obviously with Matthew Stafford's finger injury that might make them want to do that a little bit more as well with washington's center. washington being uh that the majority back i just scooped them up in in the same league where i actually had dropped peterson a few weeks ago so maybe there's some there's a little bit of respite there to save uh some touches but definitely low end number two uh flex type numbers for you know for washington among fantasy leagues this week keeping a close eye on the status of aaron Rodgers, who may not take a single snap in
3: practice this week but is still expected to play against the bears and the bigger issue even on in the injury though is the. That- poor conditions in Chicago. We're talking about zero or possibly sub-zero temperatures, blustery conditions. So, There's that word again. (laughs) Yeah, blustery. Um, I mean, I wouldn't describe what's happening outside at the moment as blustery here in in Madison, but at the same time, it's going to get worse. I saw a high of minus one for my area coming up this this (laughs) weekend, so I'm really looking forward to not going outside uh, on Sunday at all. But anyway, you, you look at this. Look at this Packers team right now. You have to wonder. they got a couple dinged-up running backs. I think Kristen Michael popped up on the injury report with an illness. Uh, Ty Montgomery's on there with a shoulder. James Starks is in a minor car accident. He's going through the concussion protocol. I think if you're trying to figure out where the value is going to come from, you've got to find one of those backs that you're, you're comfortable with. In season long, you're, you're playing Nelson, you're playing Rodgers, uh, you're playing Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb to me might be a very questionable sort of play, if only because you just don't know what you're going to get from him volume-wise most weeks, and he's been a pretty consistent disappointment now for the last five or six weeks.
2: If they could just use him right, I mean, with all these running back uncertainty, you figure a game like this, they might have to, you know, do a lot of short, quick short passing, you know, to try to move the chains that way. I always I say this a lot about Cobb, but that's kind of you know one of the things he's good at, and I, you know, that's a case where maybe this week in cold weather, not snowy, whether that would, you know, really, you know, mess up Roger's footwork or something like that or the ability to throw the ball. I think Cobb could pile up, you know, seven or eight receptions this week if they just continue to, to do that. But yeah, I'm with you. Just the, the fact they haven't really shown a good sample of that has me a little bit questionable about that. But yeah, I mean, Montgomery could be, a, you know, pretty busy this week. If, if all things considered, if Christian Michaels illness actually carries over too.
3: Cobb seemed like last week, he left for a little stretch to have both of his ankles checked out. He said hamstring trouble too. I just wonder if he's not healthy or if he hasn't been healthy in the last several weeks. I mean, that was part of the reason why the uh, usage pattern against the Colts was so bizarre. I think that was week nine or week 10 where he didn't play in the first half, but then was part of the game plan in the second half. That didn't really add up for me uh, whatsoever. Uh, Some injury news from the Saints. Michael Thomas was back at practice this week. It looks like he's going to go against Arizona. We've seen Mark Ingram on the field in limited capacity as well. So all signs point to both of those guys being just fine. Uh, I think one of the trickier players from the Monday night game, aside from Cam Newton, is Jordan Reed. He played 10 snaps last week, Tim. He's got that shoulder injury. Limited in practice on Thursday. I've not seen the official word yet from Friday. But even if he had some limited work today, how much do you trust him with the Monday night matchup and how little he played last week.
2: I'd be more willing to run with it if I have him handcuffed with Vernon Davis somehow, Uh, definitely a little bit more comfortable that way. I mean, you're not playing him over the Kelsey's, the Olsons, the Eiferts, I think at this point in the season, Um, you know, maybe Zach Ertz. I'd probably play Ertz first because we know that he's going to be, you know, playing and, you know, the tight end for Baltimore has actually not been an easy position for them to cover. Kind of, you know, kind of with the rankings too. Kind of, we have him ranked six in the value meter, non PPR. So I'm, kind of, I'm kind of along those lines right now. Um, you know, the the question is where you, when you go down the matchup plays. Do you have a Darius Green? Do you have a Cameron Bright that you might consider playing over Reed as well? I, I think Reed's still a fantasy worthy starter, but I think yeah, the the, the, the limited usage for now uh, definitely something to question how much he can actually offer as a ceiling here. And but the thing is, the Panthers' secondary really vulnerable. So that's a case where I. I be starting read over guys like Dennis Pitta or Eric Ebron, you know, that sort of thing. So, definitely one I want to wait on and see. But, you know, if you don't have Vernon Davis, I suggest you get him on your roster right now.
3: Yeah, if he's available, I think that's the best insurance you could have. The Panthers have struggled to cover tight ends all season. They're just as bad as the Browns, tied for the worst fantasy points per game allowed number in the entire league against tight ends. So, I think you do want to try to get exposure. To the Carolina defense, if you can, with those Washington tight ends, uh, even if Jordan Reed ends up having to sit this one out or if he's limited. Davis might be an option in deeper leagues if you're scrambling for some help. You know, the 14-team league, Davis, even with Reed out there, might get more looks than usual. Uh, the Raiders have a pair of bend-up receivers, Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. Cooper dealing with a shoulder injury. Crabtree with a finger injury. Both players were limited in practice on Thursday. All signs point to them being ready to go against the chargers on Sunday. Uh, Melvin Gordon's officially doubtful in that game, by the way, it didn't look like there was any chance he'd play when he was taken off the field uh, in week 14. The good news is there's at least a slim chance he could be back before the end of the season. Maybe we see him in week 16 against Cleveland.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, definitely a case of San Diego, you know, backfields a little bit in, you know, disarray right now, uh, you know Gordon. You know you you don't want to drop Gordon if you can, obviously, because that great matchup. You know landing there in week 16, but it's gonna be interesting to see the Kenneth farrow Ronnie Hillman distribution uh, for me. Farrow, a little bit more intriguing running back for me. I think he's got a little bit more wiggle, I think, than Hillman. A little more excitement to him. Uh, you know the pass pa- the pass reductions actually was one of his big pros coming up through you know in college and in, into the draft. So I think that you know maybe a little bit more you know reps in practice might kind of get him used to that role. And I, I just I'm not excited at all by Hillman in fantasy because he's a guy that just he leans on opportunity opportunity and leans on no one really questioning, you know, taking carries or touches away from him. I think Farrow is the, the more exciting guy to own uh, to replace Gordon.
3: Yeah, I think Pharaoh's going to see 75% of the touches. What we might see is Hillman getting the third down work, maybe pass protection is an area where he's a bit more experienced and and that's how he finds his way out of the field. I don't expect him to vulture too many carries from Farrow in this game. And it's not really a bad spot. I think Oakland's one of those defenses that you know, they, they bend and they don't always break, and certainly they make big plays on that side of the ball, but you can actually roll players out against them and come away pretty happy with the result. Uh, Sammy Watkins, by the way, questionable, which is normal at this point to play in that Brown, game against the Browns. It sounds like he's going to keep toughing it out over the final weeks of the season, even though we may come to a point, you know, the week 16, week 17, where the Bills really shouldn't risk the potential for further long-term injury
2: yeah it's i'm surprised that they're still kind of rolling with it right now but i mean maybe you know rex ryan maybe wants to keep playing his guys so he has more job security because watkins kind of did speak in his behalf i believe uh recently so you know maybe there's something to that just you know play out for the season maybe get the wins to keep his job instead of the wins to actually help with the playoff chase yeah,
3: absolutely. Uh, injuries otherwise, I mean, that's pretty much it. Pretty robust injury report, as you've come to expect in week 15. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins and Lamar Miller are both expected to play. They were limited in practice for a couple days this week, but that doesn't look like anything serious. Uh, the player we are watching a little more closely for Houston is C.J. Fedorowicz. He didn't practice on Thursday, still going through the concussion protocol, uh, so his status seems to be much more up in the air than that of uh, Miller and Hopkins. Interesting to note, too, that you know with the Texans and Jags meeting uh, for the second time this season, we're getting... The battle of the ultimate disappointing first round receivers again. We're gonna get Allen Robinson going up against DeAndre Hopkins, and uh, the prices across the board in daily continue to fall on both players. But I don't really trust either one of them to take advantage of the matchup in a way where I want to throw them out there, even at those deflated prices.
2: Oh, it's so tempting to have both of
3: them in the same lineup, though, because <laughs> all of a sudden they show up and combine for twenty catches
2: and three hundred and eighty yards and five TDs or something. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but, you know, the quarterback play obviously doesn't love that. You know, this is a case where I think that the defenses actually might take advantage of bad quarterbacking. Uh, you know, both defenses obviously have their flaws, but there's some talent there that, you know, can, you know, pressure the quarterback a little bit. The the Texans pass rushes actually hasn't been bad without JJ. Watt, obviously not to that level that it used to be, but you know, the Jaguars have a little bit of talent in the middle of the middle of the defense, so there's something there that might make Brock Osweiler have to scramble and Brock Oswaler's scrambling is never a good thing for anybody on that offense, so Yeah,
3: no. Brock Osweiler running is not good for anybody. Uh, Let's take a quick look at the weather around the league. I mentioned the Thursday night, Saturday game. I just think that's the dumbest marketing ever, NFL. Come on, you can do better. Uh, We're looking at light rain and 15-mile-per-hour winds, nothing that would really lead you uh, away from any particular player based on conditions. Uh, If Matt Forte plays Maybe that changes how much you like Bilal Powell, but I think even if Forte is active, Tim, there's no guarantee that they're going to use him for more than a handful of carries. They could easily just put him in the backup role and run Powell as the lead back.
2: Yeah, another another case where the Jets might not actually want to risk anything uh, there. So I think that you know Powell could, could be is at least a you know a flex play regardless of whether or not Forte plays, and you bump him up depending on Forte's status. So yeah, I'm using Powell. I think regardless, especially the way the running backs have been going down in recent weeks.
3: The other uh, games that have weather concerns, there are many of them. Uh, these are from Kevin Roth. He uh, writes for Roto Grinders. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin Roth WX is his handle. A great follow for all things weather for football and baseball season throughout the year. Uh, rain likely showers in Baltimore, 15-mile-per-hour winds. 15-mile-per-hour winds aren't enough for me to really back away from anybody in particular, but... I'm also not using Flacco or Carson Wentz in any leagues this week
2: anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, I think it's more the running game for the, for the Ravens that will do most of the work. And you know, the Eagles, obviously, tough matchup for their defense. So maybe, especially the way that Darren Sproles has already ruled out, and I, I believe uh, you know, obviously Smallwood's on IR, so it's definitely not the prettiest picture in that backfield anyway. And like I said, Jordan Matthews before is the only one I would even consider if I had to have, be desperate for someone from that passing game. Shocker of uh,
3: shock of all shocks. Buffalo has some <laughs> snow concerns in December. Uh, it's supposed to be cleared by kickoff at least, so that's good. Temperatures will be closer to 30 degrees. Winds 15 to 20 uh, miles per hour, so a little higher than what we're going to see in that Baltimore game. Uh, not not a good thing. in Baltimore and in, in Buffalo, I just feel like the the possibility of pop up storms and lake effect snow this time of yep. year are always like off the charts high
2: yeah um not not good for the passing game and these two aren't even good passing games anyway so it's just just gonna be a lot of backfield work i think you could play both running backs from both teams and and come away satisfied even maybe finally duke johnson for once for the browns
3: (laughs) a rare duke johnson (laughs) tournament play could actually pay off uh the write-up that kevin put out there for the packers and bears absolutely bitter cold temp around zero degrees with a 15 mile per hour wind wind chill temps here will likely be well into the negative and probably like minus 20 wind chills are within range so um again i think it's it's more of a more of a dfs fade than a season-long fade because aaron Rodgers will find a way to to get his even if it's 230 and two tds compared to some of the other quarterbacks on the board this week who have the equally significant weather problems and or uh, either bad supporting casts and tough matchups that might not be that bad performance wise compared to the field
2: now if it's just cold i'm i think rogers can handle that a lot easier um you know that obviously so much experience playing in Tough weather, um, you know, mixed results. But if it's just cold in Chicago against a divisional opponent, you've you know seen so many times, and you know a defense that's got its own holes to it. Yeah, Rogers, you know, top five fantasy quarterback for me, regardless. I think.
3: And then the other games that have less of a concern across the board: uh, Steelers, Bengals. Temperature supposed to be around twenty degrees. Winds ten to fifteen miles per hour there. Uh, Tennessee and Kansas City. Temperature might be around 10 degrees in that matchup. That one's not Mm -hmm. getting quite the same level of concern as Chicago, maybe because the wind won't be as bad. But I don't like Marcus Mariota going into Arrowhead uh, against that Chiefs defense in December anyway. And these frigid conditions, I think, make that even more difficult. So that could be a game where you see a ton of Spencer Ware, a ton of DeMarco Murray, even a little more Derrick Henry than usual, I think, could be part of the the mix. Maybe maybe all four backs in that game become uh, more prominent players uh the lions going on the road of the giants i mean the weather doesn't scare me as much as the giants defense and matthew stafford's got the the dislocated middle finger i I don't like stafford i'm not crazy about golden Tate this week but i understand that some owners out there may be in a position where he's simply one of their top three options at wide receiver right now
2: yeah obviously you know I, i did say before that the weather did have a factor in the cowboys you know um loss against them but still yeah very much a case where Geno Jenkins and DRC have been very solid and I think it's a case where whoever matches up with them is probably going to be Golden Tate and maybe in the slide Anquan Quan Bolden so you know maybe it's a Marvin Jones week more so for for the lions but that requires you know more downfield throws and do we want to trust Stafford doing that with with that bum finger so yeah I, I think it's going to be it's a, it's a shame that theoretic is out probably going to be out for this week cuz there'll be perfect conditions for him
3: to do more yeah it's it's really too bad that he's likely sitting this one out uh, Patriots Broncos cold probably like 25 degrees pretty standard for Denver could certainly be worse and then Washington on Monday night uh, cold with temperatures around 25 to 30 degrees I still think it's a good spot for Kirk Cousins and that oh, Washington yeah. passing game barring some changes again with wind that's the thing you're looking out for the most either heavy snow or wind that are the two things that can really derail a passing game this time of year Uh, Tim, let's talk quickly about Michael Floyd. He goes from Arizona to New England after being let go by the Cardinals, uh, following an arrest in old town Scottsdale for DUI. He was found asleep at the wheel of his vehicle, Um, let go by the Cardinals, scooped up off waivers by the Patriots. So a lot of teams with greater needs passed on him in the waiver claim process. I don't really expect him to have a significant role, but I guess as far as talent goes, this is – it's never been a question of talent it's always been a matter of consistency and even going back to notre dame i think he had similar issues uh with alcohol that have have really perhaps left his career at a crossroads
2: yeah um, yeah i'm a notre dame fan i remember that you know it was a little bit part of his legacy that he did have a little off-field struggles there but you know bill belichick likes to have these reclamation projects in in some form or another and You know, Floyd's obviously a little bit of a different, uh, you know, different mold than the Patriots' typical wide receivers like an Edelman or a Chris Hogan. You know, a little bit, a little bit more prowess in the deep game when he can actually have someone throwing to him. Um, But you know, I'm kind of surprised because Malcolm Mitchell obviously has been pretty solid and has a little bit of Tom Brady's trust so far this year. He's kind of the same guy that Floyd would kind of clash with, I think, in terms of those types of targets. Danny Amendola, I think, is kind of fallen out of favor a little bit there, and obviously, he's you know, his health is never a sure thing there. So this week, I don't think Floyd does much, but you know week 16 and 17 maybe that's somebody that steals a little bit more it does complicate the, the like i said M- mitchell's value i think more than anybody else's because uh they're kind of similar uh wide receivers in that sense so you know floyd's obviously interesting uh keeper prospect now for for the for next year i would say depending on what happens there i believe he's a free agent coming up floyd right so yeah, yeah he to yeah. Be
3: signed on the cheap to remain there and i'd I mean, the setup could be good because you're right. He's different than the other New England receivers. And, you know, Floyd with a quarterback that throws a better deep ball than Carson Palmer uh, could certainly be productive. That's not a high bar to clear either when it comes to (laughs) uh, finding an upgrade at the quarterback spot. All right, let's talk about some players we'd like on DraftKings for this weekend. We'll start at the quarterback position, and usually quarterback's easy. Usually we're kind of spoiled for choice, but you think about Matt Ryan not having Julio. You think about Aaron Rodgers and the weather we talked about. Tom Brady gets Denver. I feel like in a normal week, there would be enough QB2s that you like where you'd probably sit them down in some situations. I couldn't find a player that I would reasonably have had on a roster with Brady who i like a lot better than Brady this week, even though Brady has to go in and take on that Denver defense.
2: Yeah. I think it's just the way the schedule has fallen this year. That just, you know, it happens to be a, you know, the matchups are bad for, for the mid range streamer guys. And no, I, I think obviously a little concerned because obviously this one's on the road, a concern, that wasn't really the case against Baltimore at Foxborough. Obviously they always you know, at home they usually dominate that sort of thing even against good defenses. But I don't know. I, I kinda like Brady. Uh at that price of sixty seven hundred, I think that it's downgraded enough. Though he ranks third among quarterbacks overall, I think it's a good enough uh ROI price there where, you know, does a two fifty two hundred fifty yards, maybe three somehow cheap passing touchdowns. Um, you know, maybe they pass more inside the goal line instead or something like that and gets those three touchdowns there. Patriots offense just it adapts to what they, you know, what they see more often. I think that obviously tough cornerback matchups with, um, you know, a keep and Chris Harris there, but they, I think there's a little bit of holes in that Denver defense. They can take advantage. So, you know, it, it's obviously a risky proposition, but it's a good, I think it might be a good GPP play and the price I don't think is going to be enough to cripple your team if you choose them.
3: Right. That's, that's the appeals that lower price than usual and lower ownership number likely with that matchup, Uh, big Ben on the road. Generally not something I do, but I don't mind him in this matchup against Cincinnati. He's 6,600. Drew Brees has been just wrecking season long owners. These uh, last couple of weeks, 6,600 is the price going up against the Arizona defense on the road in Glendale. What do you expect from Drew Brees this week?
2: Uh, I think lower end QB one numbers. I just think that, you know, I believe Armstead uh, at, at tackle I believe he's on IR um, and that you know, that, that's a bad uh, matchup to go against that Arizona front who does a lot of good pass rush things. Uh, so I, I, I think that it's obviously anything, anytime Drew, Drew is on the road, you kind of have to be a little skeptical. Uh, but if T- Mike Thomas plays, I think that kind of saves him a little bit because it, you know, it expands his amount of choices he can use that are actually lethal. And I think that, you know, the Cardinals, if whoever matches up against Marcus Cooper could have a good game, that might even be Brandon Cooks. So I kind of like Cooks in this, but I don't necessarily like Breeze better than, than Brady to that sense. So, uh, yeah, DFS, I don't think the payoff is there for how high he's priced. And in, in, in for his case, I think there's a little bit more downside than Brady, to be honest with you. I trust Brady a lot more in a tough
3: matchup than I trust Breeze, especially with this game being on the road. Uh, Mariota, to me, is not in play at 6,500. Uh, Andrew Luck at 6,400 on the road against Minnesota. Maybe some contrarian appeal, but that Minnesota pass rush is going to wreak havoc on the Colts' offensive line. That was the thing that really stood out to me again yeah. last week. Is just how much Andrew Luck looked like he was running for his life against the Texans.
2: Yeah, and obviously, you no know, Dante Moncrief, the, the taller receiver, the, you know, to have those passes over the middle if he needs it. That's a, that's an outlet he's not going to have now. And you know, Philip Dorsett does not have that ability in him. And obviously, T.Y. Hilton does get a lot of targets, but you know, it's a case where he might, you know. Not be able to help him out as much as, as possible with that because you know more of a big play type to, to to trend that way. So yeah, Andrew Luck this week I'm I'm not a big fan of him either. I'm out
3: of Matthew Stafford too at 6,300. But yeah. I am thinking about Derek Carr even though he's got the uh, two dislocations of his pinky. He's at least in play at 6,300. Dak at 62 is. Okay, not great. Probably not. I'm not the kind of guy that plays enough lineups to where I have a DAC lineup this week when it's all said and done. Uh, But Rivers on the other side of the matchup against Oakland is intriguing. Coming off a bad game and a good spot against Carolina goes back home to face Oakland. I think this game has a lot of shootout potential.
2: Yeah, Rivers is definitely my favorite of, of those three, just because I think that you know we've we've seen that Rivers work with so many different weapons this year. I don't think losing Gordon is the biggest deal because he wasn't the most effective runner anyway. He was a high volume guy and he was involved in the passing game. They have guys that can do that, not at that level, but you know obviously this might mean better things for Tyrell Williams, Dontrell Inman, maybe even a little bit more Travis Benjamin to kind of move the chains a bit more.
3: Yeah, I really do like the top two receivers, and by top two I do mean Benjamin and Inman right now for the Chargers. I think they're priced very fairly. Uh, Winston at 6,100 is is kind of interesting. I like him more than Dak by comparison because I feel like the ceiling is higher. Dallas's defense is a little bit flawed. I'm trying to figure out what kind of game we're going to get from Tampa Bay and Dallas, though. Tampa's defense which didn't look good earlier in the year has really taken some big steps forward in recent weeks. And I have to wonder if this turns into more of a grinded out sort of game, you know, 20 to 17, something like that, as opposed to a, the shootout type game that fantasy owners would want.
2: I think Tampa is going to be the more apt team to kind of turn up the pressure a little bit here. Um, you know, the Dallas run defense has been pretty decent most of the year. Um, you know, Doug Martin, the guy that you, they kind of give up on if he's not working most of the time. Uh, he'll get hot, He'll get 15 touches, but you know, they won't be, um, you know, late in the game. They won't really go to him as much if it's a close game. So I think that, I think it's a good, good game for Mike Evans. Uh, the cornerbacks, obviously I keep saying without Morris Claiborne, are not the same and an elite guy like Evans that runs great routes and obviously has big playability. That's a guy that I think is going to break loose again, more Cameron Braid, obviously has been a good, uh, you know, tight end for that secondary to, to match up against with Winston's been kind of trusting him a bit more. I don't know about the depth of the Buccaneers uh, receiving core being anything of, of much use though.
3: How do you feel about Carson Palmer at home against the Saints? Saints defense looking a little better these last couple of games, but do you really buy into that unit as significantly improved?
1: Um,
2: I I think maybe with more, you know, J.J. Nelson on the field might do them a little bit more service there. Uh, You know, maybe less rotation between wide receivers might actually help them. Uh, Help Palmer have a little bit more familiarity this time. Uh, You know, John Brown, maybe a little bit more involved. Uh, That's that's a sneaky little play there as well. Um, You know, Palmer's uh, out of those cheap, cheaper guys. I don't don't know if the difference between him and Rivers is enough for me to like him all that much, but definitely a GPP consideration for me
3: looking a little further down Colin Kaepernick at 5,800 matching up against an Atlanta defense. That is the most generous in terms of fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks on a per game basis. This season, we know the range of outcomes with Colin Kaepernick. The floor <laughs> is lower than we probably thought three weeks ago, but at the same time, there's some shootout potential with this game being indoors in Atlanta.
2: I think it'll be a popular GPP pick. I would definitely, I wouldn't touch him in cash, Obviously, way too much insecurity for that because the Falcons' home field advantage is a little bit more defined. I think this defense has a little bit better pass rush in recent weeks with Vic Beasley just really turning into a beast all of a sudden. I don't think the Niners can really handle that. So, you know, Kaepernick, maybe that makes him run a bit more, which is actually a good thing for his fantasy value. Season long, I'm not really – I'm not that optimistic unless my quarterback situation is really, really dire for Kaepernick. Anybody else
3: lower on the list than Kaepernick that you're considering? I mean, Eli is cheap, but he just isn't playing – At a very high level right now maybe he bounces back from a disappointing showing last week against dallas but i I don't feel overwhelmingly optimistic about that happening
2: no um i I think as a quarterback he's just been different this year no running game to really help him out and you know open up defenses a bit more uh for that for that case i think i'm you know he's priced where he should be but i'm still not wanting to really take advantage of that maybe it's a trevor Simeon game against the Patriots, you know, that's a, that's a case where they might have to keep track, you know, sorry, um, you know, keep pace a little bit with new England. If new England does find some ways to beat them, uh, obviously, you know, Sanders and Thomas decent matchups for them in that, in that Patriots secondary, which hasn't been very consistent this year. And the pass rush hasn't been amazing either. So, you know, maybe it's a Simeon 250 yard, three touchdown game as well there. Cause I think Thomas and Sanders are bound to do pretty well against the secondary.
3: Yeah. I do like the Broncos receivers. I don't know if I like Simeon enough and, it's a skinny tree, so even if there's not mm-hmm. a ton of production, we know those two guys are gonna be heavily involved. The only other wrinkle there is as we've talked about at various points the last couple of years now. Bill Belichick's defenses, Matt Patricia's defenses, scheme in a way where they often take away one of your better weapons. And I have to wonder, do they take away Emmanuel Sanders or do they take away Demarius Thomas? I feel like it'd be Thomas, so if I had to pick <sighs> one, I think mm-hmm. I'd be more inclined to take Emmanuel Sanders for this week.
2: Um, I don't know because I think that that the weaker part of New England's defense is playing deep, and I think that Sanders obviously is a little bit better in the deep ball than Thomas is. Maybe Sanders is the guy that they give Patrick Chung or you know and and um, and uh, Cyrus Jones a little bit of help on in in that defensive case, or maybe and then maybe leave Thomas to just kind of catches all of his passes under the middle and maybe just swarm him a little bit quicker. It's I don't know, it's definitely interesting to see what they would do. It's definitely a coin flip, kind of you know depending on what New England will do each week, anyway.
3: So. so who's your preferred play on the entire board among quarterbacks this week?
2: Uh, I'm going to go against my Cowboys and say Winston, just because I think that their pass defense is very weak when weather is not a factor. All
3: right, so I'm, I'm going to go with that. I'm, I like the Winston call. I'm going rivers and I, I really might regret it, but I don't, I don't think I will. I mean, I think, I think this can be a nice high scoring game between these two teams. They may have to air it out a bit more uh, without Melvin Gordon, in the backfield this week as well. Now let's shift the focus over to running back where we have a $10,000 running back. David Johnson, 10100 Play him or fade him?
2: Uh, uh, I guess fade. <laughs> I, I think I think the options of running back around him are decent enough where I would rather pile on two or three of those. That, that's, in, that's insane for me. GPP, I'm not doing Johnson. 9,800
3: on Le'Veon Bell, 8,900 on LaShawn McCoy, who I feel like is going to be really heavily owned with that home matchup in yeah. the snow, potentially, or at least in the cold, against the Browns. What about Zeke? Do you think Zeke might be like the of, of the more expensive backs, the guy that people maybe stay away from a little more than usual this week, even though they have no compelling reason to? I mean, Tampa's yeah. kind of an average run defense, and I think the Cowboys can dominate matchups at the line of scrimmage against pretty much any team anyway. So one thing they could do is kind of come back this week with a game plan that's even more Zeke-centric than usual and kind of take some of the pressure off of Dak Prescott after a rough game last week against the Giants.
2: Absolutely. I, I, I would bank on Elliot more than I would bank on Dank. Sorry, Dak. Oh, Dank. That's funny. Um, thank on on Dak this week. Obviously it's the case more, most, more weeks than so, but 8,200 I think is way too much of a swing in the other direction of what he should be offering. And yeah, I'm with you. I think Zeke's of those top four. I think Zeke's the guy I would rather, rather focus on because I, yeah, I think the Buccaneers run defense is not as tough as it has seemed in recent weeks at all. I think they've had some favorable matchups in that sense. So, uh, yeah, I think Zeke's the one I would own of those top four.
3: I don't hate DeMarco Murray because I think that's going to be a really tough, grinded out sort of game where he gets his volume. He's only 6,900 against yeah. Kansas City. Don't know if he'll make the cut as like one of my top three backs, but he's going to be very close. Uh, Devontae Freeman coming off a disappointing showing against the Rams. Falcons putting up 42 points last week. Freeman doing pretty much nothing at all. Six thousand seven hundred against that poorest San Francisco run defense. I mean, you look at Freeman at that price will be even more owned, I think, than McCoy at eighty nine hundred. But I think they're going to be one two in terms of running back ownership rate for this week.
2: I think so, and obviously, Tevin Coleman his price has jumped to five thousand. I think I don't think that's enough of a difference between the top back and the second back to really favor the second back that much. You stop and you pause, you think maybe this is another game where they'll you know, jump out early and Freeman won't do much in the second half. They'll just ride Coleman for most of the way. But I don't know. I think they'll find a way to get Freeman more involved. They seem to kind of pay off these guys when, they, when, one take, when he takes a week off. I think they go back to him strongly the next week to kind of get his mood back, I guess. You know what I'm saying? So um, that backfield, they're both good options. If you can fit Coleman in your lineup in a certain way as a flex, maybe that'll work. But I do like Freeman better this week of those two. And that, that price is still a pretty decent discount.
3: Jordan Howard at 6,000 is a GPP option, but not a cash option. I like the player. I don't love the matchup. Packers were giving up decent amount of yardage per carry to Thomas Rawls last week, but they've been pretty good against the run all season long. Where I'm really torn is you know, Carlos Hyde at 5,900 looks like a good play if the Niners can keep it respectable, and if Kaepernick can take advantage of the matchup he has in the passing game, especially – Hyde should have a nice setup to put up some points. But you look at him versus Latavius Murray at 5,800 and Spencer Ware at 5,700. I know the Titans are good against opposing running backs, but those three guys all below 6,000 are very intriguing to me.
2: I actually have three of those written down in my you know, heavily circled range there. Um, Hyde gets his carries regardless. I think that you worry a little, little bit for each of them about Sharkandrick West for some reason um, vulturing a touchdown like he did last week on Ware and—oh, was it two weeks ago on where I forget. But, and then you have Murray, who obviously loses a lot of work to um, Jalen Richard. And you know the, I, I, don't think, um, I don't think Hyde really has that—I don't think Sean Drone is as huge of a threat to his workload as the other two backups are to the other two. So I think Hyde is the one I would go with there. And they might want to just keep Atlanta's offense off the field anyway, even without Julio Jones. So I think that's a case where you could see a little bit more of Hyde there as, as I, he's my slight favorite of those three. I'm passing on
3: uh, the, the next Jeremy Hill 5,600. I don't love it. You know, the volume's been pretty good, but I'm going to stay away from Jeremy Hill. I think I'm staying away from Lamar Miller at 5,400. The Jags defense yeah. isn't completely terrible. I just worry that he's going to keep coming off the field with these these ailments he's been playing through, I give him credit for for toughing it out, but it just adds a layer of risk that I feel like is it's unnecessary with so many games on these slates now that bye weeks are, are well over. Um, Riddick, we talked about before, he's not going to play. He would have been 5400 I would have liked him a fair amount at that price. Yeah. What about Doug Martin? $5,300 gets the matchup against the Cowboys. And is, is he a legitimate consideration for one of your running back spots?
2: I mean it's kind of what I was saying before I think the bucks I think the bucks are actually going to throw it a bit more in this game uh, just because of the Dallas run defense has you know been a little bit stronger than most give them credit for, and Martin's the kind of guy that if he's not working, they do go away from it, and obviously Charles Sims you know having a role now in that passing game is obviously limiting what Martin I think is going to offer. The price is a good one if you're trying to go against the grain a little bit there, but I think that the in a PPR layout that the upside is uh, fully there uh, for martin to be like oh i I'm, I'm, I'm you know clamoring over him right now
3: If a p goes he's only five thousand. On DraftKings, mm-hmm. I mean that's annoyingly tempting, but I, I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna keep thinking about the Minnesota offensive line not being good enough to open the hole for him in the first place, and oh. how he'll be irrelevant if he does play. That's my hope, anyway. Uh, Legarrette Blunt is only five thousand. If you don't want to buy into the narrative that Brady can go into Denver and play exceptionally well, but you do think New England can win that game, it's not a bad spot for Legarrette Blunt because Denver, for as great as that defense is. <laughs> They're weaker against the run than they are against the pass. And as we've seen with the Patriots, they give LeGarrette Blunt a pretty heavy workload.
2: Yeah, and up the middle, it's obviously a weak spot for Denver in that case, you know, weaker than the pass rush would be. So, yeah, I, I, I do like Blunt a little bit more than, than most people would. And obviously, the $5,000 discount, you know, the discount at that price is very, very tempting to use. And, yeah, I'll probably have at least one lineup if I do play this week with Blunt.
3: Are you going play or fade on Kenneth Farrow at $4,400 against the Raiders? <sighs>
2: GPP, uh, I, I think it's gonna be too popular to really separate yourself from the field to pick him. Cash game, I could actually see him paying off a little bit more there uh, because I think that you know the workload, the, the floor is gonna be pretty high. Uh, you know, fifty-fifty double up type stuff. I think that's one, that's a workload you can pretty much bank on. I think.
3: Anyone as you move past Pharaoh in terms of cheaper backs, I mean Frank Gore, forty-four hundred gets volume, but I don't really, I don't know, I, I don't hate him, but the ceiling's not that high, right? I mean the best case scenario is 90 yards from the scrimmage at a TD probably, which isn't bad. It's just not going to help you win a big GPP. It's going to help you cash in a big GPP if he does that. Uh, I mean, Isaac Crowell is only 4,100. You mentioned him earlier as a possibility, I think, going up against the Bills and what should be some cold conditions. And anybody you like in, in the lower end of the, of the list,
2: yeah i mean kenneth dixon a little bit um i I think that's one where i i have him at 3,800. you know looking here i'm like all right that's that's not bad i think you know uh the eagles uh defense is probably going to be a little bit um you know weaker against the run than most of them i i would say tj yeldon but chris ivory looks like he's coming back so maybe that's when i'm stay a little bit away from there um yeah mike gillisley at 3500 you know we talked about before playing all all those backs in that game might might be an interesting strategy as well um you know tempting to pick a patriots running back but who wants to do that every week It's not, 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 something I'm really comfortable with. But do you go Jarek McKinnon as, you know, Adrian Peterson coming back, realize all oh, getting McKinnon, more passing downs, maybe actually use him in them that, that maybe that's a case to go kind of against the hype on Peterson coming back. I'd love to do
3: it, but I won't because <laughs> I've already got a share in a season long league that I may have to start yet again, because yeah, it's just where the state of my uh, running backs is right now. I think if I'm going to play one of the backs it's still James White for me over Deion Lewis. I, this could be a spot where both guys end up being sort of useful because one way to offset that pass rush is dump the ball off into space mm-hmm. to the backs, and you know maybe it's, it's such a heavy dump off game plan where you you use both. I, I don't know, but true. Belichick, Belichick uses both, not us as fantasy players, of course. <laughs> just to clarify, um, but yeah, there's there's not a lot of like floor-priced running backs or near-floor-priced running backs that I'm thinking about. Maybe Dwayne Washington at 3500 I mean, very contrarian sort of play. I think everyone's in love with the Giants' defense, and maybe for good reason. But I think the fact they did that on a Sunday night against the Cowboys last week, maybe has everybody swinging too far on how good Mm -hmm. that defense really is.
2: Yeah, and and LA's still got 100 yards that game, so it wasn't like the run defense was anything special.
3: There you go. So it might be something you can exploit. Uh, Receivers, Antonio Brown's 8,400. Mike Evans, 8,300. Odell Beckham is 8,000. Of the receivers at 8,000 and above, is Evans the one you're most likely to play this week?
2: happens to be the most expensive oh no he's not the most expensive so that's good uh 8300 8, yeah i'll I'll go with evans yeah yep. he, he
3: makes sense i mean it, he's been way too quiet these last few games inevitably have to think there's some improvement coming uh jordy nelson 7300 good price ordinarily i don't like the weather so i'm staying away there uh um, i mentioned hilton maybe being the kind of player that can pick apart xavier rhodes 7200 He's close, but he's probably not enough of a value overall for me where I'm gonna go ahead and actually take that chance.
2: Yeah, I was gonna chime in before about Hilton actually. You know, the the play where Des Bryant broke one off on that zone coverage against the Vikings. Um that's the type of play that Hilton could easily uh do if they don't if they lose track of him. I I think Hilton's a gpp against a grain play, but he's very, very, very risky.
3: Fitzgerald at seven thousand, too expensive. I'd like him if you're about six thousand uh emmanuel sanders though we talked about before he's probably one of my top three plays at wide receiver this week i like what he brings to the table in that matchup uh demarius is 6300 by comparison interesting that emmanuel sanders is more expensive right now but i'm okay paying the extra 300 bucks to get him uh are you gonna play brandon cooks at 6200 i know you brought him up earlier is he actually one of your top four top five options at the position this week
1: i think i'd
2: say top five um you know the the uh, Cardinals have been a little bit, you know, they've had some holes in their defense a little bit They you know, uh, Taron Matthews health problems and stuff like that. They, they could let those guys that can slide, you know, in the middle of the fields, you know, that can break big plays off a little bit more, you know, do a little bit more damage against them. So I think cooks is the type of guy that can go in on that this week. I think Peterson might, might instead follow a Michael Thomas because they want, maybe they take away the deep ball with new Orleans. Uh, but cooks is a guy that can, you know, manipulate some of the other guys. I it, it's very tough and I think the, pr- it's enough of a discount for me to be a little bit excited about cooks. So that, that's kind of what makes me a little bit intrigued by him. 6,200 is a pretty good price for, compared to the other guys.
3: Yeah, it really is uh, you go a little further down Tyrell Williams at 5,800. I think is a really good play. We haven't talked a lot about the chiefs pass catchers. Uh, um, as far as guys that we trust on a regular basis, but Tyreek Hill still 5,700. Is that a price where you're comfortable playing? Especially when you get Hill at 5,700 or maybe Taylor Gabriel at 5,600.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the price hasn't caught up to Hill just yet, at least his recent performance. Uh, and then the matchup is really good. I thought he'd be a little bit more expensive this week. I, it was so funny because you mentioned that someone in my keeper league dropped Jeremy Macklin and I picked him up this week. I Ooh. was very, very shocked to see that. I mean, that should be fine uh, for next
3: year. I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't really see any short-term <laughs> value, but he was right. a really good player just a year ago.
2: Yeah, but you're right. I mean, he, I think he's also a little bit of you know muster in this in this uh, offensive uh, game plan. I I'm surprised because Andy Reid, he figured he had Macklin for a year, liked what he saw, and didn't have it come up. So um, anyway, back to the Hill versus uh, Taylor Gabriel question. I think Gabriel will be, is going to be very popular. Uh, because Jones being out, you know the, the assumed target volume there. I think uh, Hill might be the better play because I, I do think that the Falcons might um, run a little bit more than pass. I think the, the Chiefs that might have Hill as their top guy in the passing game as well. He can do things like a like a running back get the ball in space, you know, quickly. So I think Hill's the better one for me because I think that opens up a little bit more options for him.
3: Still haven't seen Allen Robinson as I scroll through this price list. He's going to be <laughs> in here somewhere. Uh, Dontrelle Inman at fifty one hundred is interesting if you're doing a stack. I like Ty Montgomery. To at least get 8 yes. to 10 carries, catch some passes. He's only 4,800. He's wide receiver eligible on DraftKings. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who we talked about earlier, is 5,000 for that matchup against the Jags. It's a low enough price where I, I see a case for it. I don't know if I will actually be doing it, but it, I don't think it's without logic to give him a spin at that price. What about... Mike Wallace at forty eight hundred though in GPPs. Anytime his price starts to dip down below five thousand, you put him up in a spot where the Ravens are at home. All, all it takes is just one long TD, and Mike Wallace returns value at that price point.
2: And those quarterbacks are pretty terrible in Philly. It makes a lot of sense. The ROI, like you said, gets a little bit more. You know, get a little bit more intrigued by that. And you know, yeah. Wallace, anytime Wallace is above five thousand, you're kind of like eh. Not not really the biggest deal, but you know he's dipping a little bit down below that. You're like, huh? All right, you can fit him in a little bit easier with that. So yeah, Wallace is definitely interesting with the way I think he can he can burn those quarterbacks pretty easily.
3: Allen Robinson's forty four hundred dollars this week. You playing him?
2: <laughs> uh yeah, GPP. I think I would. And that's yeah, that's crazy. 40, that's I mean, crazy.
3: If if I told you that in week one, we were doing the Friday pod in week one, I said, hey, Allen Robinson's forty four hundred this week. <laughs> Be like, I'm taking every dollar I have and building lineups around Allen Robinson to make sure that I do well this week because that's a crazy low price. Uh, he's only $100 more expensive than his teammate Marquise Lee. I mean, like that's that's how much things have changed with Allen Robinson. I should say he's $400 more expensive, but it, it's, it's remarkable that he's even in the same neighborhood uh, price-wise. J.J. Uh, Nelson, who touched the ball twice last week and scored twice, might have a larger role with Michael Floyd out of the picture. And you know, he's a little dinged up. We'll see if he's he's cleared to play. I think he's going to be fine. He's limited Wednesday and limited all week. But I mean, do you trust J.J. Nelson in a tournament at 3,900? I feel like he'll be a little more heavily owned this week after the 2TD game last week. But against the Saints especially, it shouldn't take a lot of volume for Nelson to make an impact.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. I'd, I'd rather kind of go against the grain and go with John Brown there because they might have a little bit more to use him in a couple more snaps now that Floyd's gone. You know, um, Nelson obviously a little bit more towards Floyd's skill set. Brown could do a little bit of little bit of both, but if if Brown is going to match up against Delvin Bro, which I think the nat- the the natural lineup of the Cardinals wide receivers would make them do, I think Brown could bust off a big play this week. I'd rather go against the grain with him at that price and go with Nelson, who uh, it's still a good price to take a chance on him. But I think that the hype's going to be a little bit more around him, and that that's a case where you won't separate yourself for big money.
3: Yeah, any cheap wide receivers that are on your radar for this week?
2: Uh, Rashard Matthews, forty six hundred. Uh, maybe the cold a little bit talking me a little bit from that uh but you know that's that's still pretty good if you're gonna have to look to chuck against the chiefs good playmakers to 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 get mariota knocked down i think but they do whiff on some good good receivers sometimes i think matthews at 4600 and not not a bad one to play there and i i I had listed brown uh before we started this uh the podcast so i'll I'll stick with that
3: nice all right let's take a look at tight ends travis kelsey's the most expensive 5900 eifert 5600 i feel like eifert better of the two, I think right now, with A.J. Green out especially, Eifert's basically their number one pass catcher. I mean, he's he's the guy Eddie Dalton's going to look for. Uh, it's home, so I think the Bengals might be able to keep that game a bit more close than they would if it were being played at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. So Eifert, I think, is the guy I want to have money for. If I don't, you could go down just a couple spots and save quite a bit of money. I mean, Delaney Walker is only 3900 I know we talked about Kansas City being a tough matchup, but... It, it makes some sense because Mariota should do something. It's not going to be a monster game for him, but he should do enough to be useful. Uh, Ladarius Green coming off a disappointing showing last week. I think he could be a lot more involved this week against the Bengals. He's only 3,700. Uh, how are you tackling the tight end position this weekend?
2: Um, I, I you know I do like Ladarius Green a little bit against that, the Bengals out there. They've had a... You know, good statistical run as a good matchup for tight ends. I like Cameron Braid, as I said before, because, the, you know, the Buccaneers' pass cashing is dwindled down to Mike Evans and Charles Sims and Braid and a bunch of other, you know, nobodies. And the Cowboys have been bad against uh, good tight ends this year. So Braid's a guy I'm heavily considering. Um, you know, as I said, Green against Cincinnati is probably a decent one because the Bengals uh, don't have a lot of good coverage of tight ends there. Um, it's kind of really sitting in that. In those tiers for me, because you know the it's kind of packed more towards the middle of the of the useful options than than most other weeks. I don't think there's any like real dynamite cheap guy that you can go with this week. So you kind of have to just kind of sit yourself in that you know thirty you know four thousand ish to you know thirty five hundred type of, of wheelhouse, which is not a bad one to be in. Maybe maybe Antonio Gates at forty one hundred if you trust him against that Raiders. But you know maybe Hunter Henry because he stole the touchdown last week.
3: Yeah, Hunter Henry. It, it, I'm, I keep saying this, but. If Hunter Henry could get Antonio Gates' targets, things would be really interesting. And if Antonio Gates wasn't getting faltered by Hunter Henry, uh, Gates would still be very interesting. I wonder if uh, there's a punt tight end. Trey Burton's target volume is way up right now with the Eagles. Maybe they dump the ball off to him a lot. He's only 2,500. Charles Clay scored that weird, fluky long TD last week. but. If, if someone's going to be useful other than Sammy Watkins, it kind of makes sense that he might be with conditions uh, expected to be cold and possibly snowy in Buffalo. But you're right; I, I think it's it's really the mid-tier tight end week. If you're not going to pay up for one of those top guys, those those bottom-end guys that we've been finding throughout this season don't look like they're really in a good setup this week. Defensively, what jumps off the page? Which which quarterback? Which offense are you picking on? <laughs>
2: Um, you know, the Packers playing Matt Barkley in bad conditions, you know, makes me intrigued for sure. Um, you know, that, that, that's one I'm, I'm heavily targeting and they're priced decently enough where it's a little bit of a discount from $700 cheaper than the Falcons. The Falcons, obviously you want to like them, but there's also an offense that can give up a lot of points to a guy like Kaepernick. So I'm not really paying top end defensively this week. And, you know, maybe, maybe go to the case where, um, maybe, uh, the chiefs are a little bit higher up there. So I'm not as interested in them at that point. uh, Maybe maybe you go with, oh, man, this is, yeah. Defense is why I do defense last most of the time.
3: Yeah, exactly. Well, the Ravens, (laughs) 3,100 at home against the Eagles. I like the Ravens against, like, an average quarterback, and they're going against an inexperienced, perhaps below-average quarterback right now in Carson Wentz. So I think the Ravens are my preferred defensive player this week. Yeah, I'll agree with that. All right, so as we get ready to sign off, Tim, I am going to be probably snowed in for most of the weekend, which means... I have to go to my beer cellar, which is good because my beer cellar is very full. Uh, what's what's on tap for you this weekend? What are you what are you planning on going after if you go out this weekend?
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll continue my look for uh, you know. Christmassy type stuff, you know, nice little warm stout oatmeal stout type of things going to dinner um, in, in Brooklyn on a Saturday night. So that's obviously a pretty good opportunity for to get something of that sort. Uh, obviously, I feel bad. I don't have any more of what we talked about last week. Amazingly, that after we talked about, you know, you missing out on the Bourbon County stout, I had that last week. I found it randomly at a Brooklyn grocery store and I did send a taunting tweet at you, which, you know, I had to, I think at that point it was very good. Um, maybe I could find that again in Brooklyn this time. Maybe it, it hasn't been snatched up by someone else in some other store, but what what are you thinking about pulling from your cellar? Well, I've got the St. Bernardus Christmas ale. Yes. That's an amazing
3: one. So yes, that's I love that one. probably going to come out. Um, the thing yeah. I saw today and I, I wanted to drive across town and get it. And as soon as the snow started to fall, I thought I'd really be an idiot if I got into some little fender bender because I drove, Ten miles across town for a bottle of beer before a snowstorm, but the the St Bernardus App 12 Oak Aged uh, came out of a mm-hmm. cellar here. Somebody had, some one of the stores had some put away, and they popped that out and tweeted about it this afternoon. And I saw it right. and I just thought, oh. This, this is a problem. Like This is just too far away from me right now. I need, I need to get some snowshoes or some cross-country skis and just go for it, I think, uh, at some point. I might have a friend who lives over by that, that store Maybe going to swinging and get me some of that. Cause I have not had that yet, and I think oh. barrel-aged St. Bernardus just sounds like the best thing in the world.
2: St. Bernard's it's itself is one of my favorite Belgians as well. I mean, you know, I, I keep harping that I'm a Belgian guy every week. And, yeah, I mean, I, it might be worth risking it for me. I don't know. I, I think we need like a, you know, like an Uber for craft beer or something like that. You know, we've had this thing. We you should have a fast food delivery system forever. And now we should get a craft beer one as well exactly I no i i would I would
3: love to see it. I, I keep glancing out the window as we 're finishing up I'm like is it is it too bad? am I, I going to be stupid if I drive across town right now and I, I don't know the the angel on my right shoulder keeps kind of telling me not to do it. The devil on my left is like you 'll be fine you drive you driving this crap all the time. go get some beer. <laughs> So sometimes you, sometimes you gotta listen to the
2: devil And uh, you know hope you make it safely across if you go there
3: Yeah, you just hope, <laughs> hope for the best And see uh, how it plays out But yeah, I think the St. Bernard's Christmas Ale uh, And the Evil Twin, uh, the even more Jesus yes. I think I'm gonna pop a can of that open I got a four pack of that and just start getting into it Either that or the biscotti brick, maybe both It's gonna be a, a busy Sit on my butt kind of weekend So probably yeah. try both the Evil Twin brews That I've been stashing away uh, It's gonna be a good weekend even if I don't get outside so all right that's going to wrap things up for the friday episode of the rotowire fantasy football podcast you can find tim on twitter at tim underscore heaney i'm at Derek van Riper. no dashes no underscores no numbers replacing letters like wayland's stupid <laughs> handle so just keep that in mind uh, nick and i are going to be back with you on monday